Welcome to the Stop Over Drinking and Start Living podcast, where high-achieving, goal-oriented rebel women come to learn how to live a vibrant and fulfilling life without requiring alcohol to get through it. No labels, no judgments, no saying you'll never drink again, just real proven methods to help you stop rebelling against yourself with alcohol so you can drink less and do more. I'm your host, Angela Masenik. Let's dig in. Welcome to podcast episode 204, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit with Andrea Owen. Well, hello, hello, hello. Oh my gosh, y'all are in for a special treat for this podcast episode. I'm so excited for a conversation that I just had with Andrea Owen. Andrea is a global speaker, professional certified Daring Way life coach, if you're not familiar with Daring Way, but that's the program Brene Brown has produced and and she participated in. She's also the best-selling author of 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, and Make Some Noise. She also has a podcast called Make Some Noise, and it's been downloaded over 3 million times. Andrea is a seasoned professional. She's also sober, and she reached out to me to be on my podcast, such an honor, after she saw me posting about the 200th episode. So I want you to tune in. I want you to hear these nuances in the conversation that we're covering. We're talking about sobriety. We're talking about past family shit. We're talking about parenthood. We're talking about relationships and friendships. We cover it all. And I want you to hear for it, my friend. So have have a listen. Enjoy the podcast. Andrea's links are all linked up in the show notes, including how to pre-order a copy of the revised edition of How to Stop Feeling Like Shit. Y'all must read this book. It reinforces literally everything that I teach. And if you're in my six-month Stop Over Drinking and Start Living program, it's almost a must. And I will be buying a copy of this book for people who join my program in the next couple weeks. So if you want to join the program, get your applications in, and I'll send you a copy of this book right to your your home address. All right, my friends, enjoy the episode. Talk soon. Welcome to the podcast, Andrea. I'm so excited to have you here. So I'm be- so excited to be here, Angela. Yay! Yay! We're here! <laughs> so before we get into it, why don't you give them just a little bit of an introduction about yourself and how you got here? Yeah, well, professionally, I am a keynote speaker, author, and life coach. Uh, personally, I am the mother of two teenagers, which still sounds weird to say. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, wait, no, they're, they're I just, yesterday they were babies. Um, and I have a husband, I live in North Carolina and we have a nine month old German shepherd puppy. Oh, wow. Busy. Life is very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) I just have my first teenager. So my child just turned 13. And so that's been fun, but I feel like I've had a lot of prep. I've always been saying like, since they were been four, they've been going on being a teenager. So this is not like a like a oh. big transition for me. I'm like, I've had years of prep for this. <laughs> and so I'm finding it yeah. very fast. Mine are 15 and 13. Okay. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So you commented, we're, we know some mutual friends. And uh-huh. I think we became Facebook friends. And then I posted on my Facebook about celebrating my 200th podcast episode. Yay. And you Congrats. just, That's thank you, deal. thank you. Um, you were like, oh my gosh, if you ever have guests, 
I'd love to come on. I've been sober and blah, blah, blah. And like, Uh I would love to talk to your people. So here we are. So here we are. Yes. What do you want to know? I am a, I am a wealth of wisdom at my ripe old age of 47 now. So (laughs) let's hit it. Yeah. Well, first of all, we do have to mention your book that I just read. So how to stop feeling like shit. And we can talk about that Uh as we go through the podcast and kind of reference that. But this is your second iteration of that book, right? It is a re-release. Yes, it came out um, several years ago. And then, you know, some big things happened. The Me Too movement, the Mm -hmm. pandemic, civil Mm -hmm. unrest, um, the conversation around toxic positivity. Mm -hmm. And I asked the publisher and I'm like, can we, can I address these things? Mm -hmm. I've never done a re-release for any of my books and Mm -hmm. update. And they said, yes. So here we are. That's awesome. Is it available Mm -hmm. now to buy? It is. We're, the date that we're recording, um, it's available for pre-order. It has a yellow cover, whereas the first iteration had a white cover, and it will ship on December 27th of 2022. Nice. Well, we'll link all that mm-hmm. up in the podcast and stuff, but it was Thank an you. amazing book, and I know I told you this Thank you already. for reading it. Yeah, like, I... Um, it literally reinforces everything that I teach my clients inside my coaching yeah. programs. And I just love how you broke it down. It's super funny. It's totally relatable. I love at the beginning of the book when you were like, oh, let's like the statistics about how people, uh, how often they finish the book. So it's like, what is it? It's like, yeah, um, people only finish. I don't like remember the, what the stats are, it's but like, like less than 30% people. Or, read the entire thing yeah Yeah. and I'm guilty of that me too so many nonfiction books where I'm like enthusiastic in the beginning and I just like run out of steam yeah or you just like get your you're like okay got it and then you move on right like you learn something in that first third or whatever but I just love I'm Mm -hmm. like you you see me Andrea (laughs) oh I do I watched it all (laughs) y'all I love it so Let's hear about, I think what's interest, what interests you to come on the podcast was like your sobriety story. So why don't you tell them? Cause that's what my listeners are here to learn about, like to feel inspired, to know that they're not alone, to hear different yeah. voices, different stories, ways that they can interpret what this means for them. So I'd love to just know your story about how that came to be. Yeah. I mean, I did not come out of the womb evolved. I, I think like many of your listeners really struggled growing up in our culture that didn't exactly teach us to speak up for ourselves or set boundaries or say no when mm-hmm. we actually wanted to say no, etc. Mm-hmm. So my recovery story actually spans before my drinking ever picked up speed. And in my late teens and all through my 20s, I was pretty severely codependent. Mm. I self-abandoned like a mad woman. Mm. I ignored my intuition over and over again. I did for others way more before I did for myself and then resented them for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know that. <laughs> it was just so attached to if people would just behave the way that I thought they should. Right then every, everyone would be happier. They yeah. would be happier. I certainly would be happier. Yeah. And it just caused just problems in my relationships with my, not just in my romantic relationships, but relationships with my family members, with my with my girlfriends, and mm-hmm. but managed to be quote unquote fine for a really long time mm-hmm. as many of us are. I was also um, a love addict. I would chase men like many people chase food, cigarettes, or alcohol. I was addicted to the chase. I was addicted to falling in love. I was addicted to the high of just the beginning of that relationship. Mm. And I I kind of half joke that I left a graveyard of, of broken hearts 
along with my own. Mm-hmm. And it was just this string of, re- of failed relationships. And I, I couldn't figure out why I kept doing this and felt so ashamed about it. Mm-hmm. And so the, the long and short of it is I had a, a huge life-changing moment. My my husband at the time, we'd been together for 13 years. We started dating when we were teenagers. Mm-hmm. We were married and about to start a family. We were having that conversation of trying to conceive our first child. We always knew we wanted kids. When I found out that he'd been living a double life, he had he was having an affair with our neighbor who lived across the street. She also thought that he was at least separated oh, from wow. me. So he'd been lying to her as well. And she was, she was pregnant. They were starting a family together. Oh my gosh. So I know. So we divorced and I immediately started dating mm-hmm. someone. Of course I did. Mm-hmm. Cause I thought that was going to be the answer to my problems mm-hmm. was getting into a new relationship. And I met someone incredibly charming. He was handsome and funny. And you probably know where this is going just based on that description. <laughs> um, he unfortunately had cancer, but he didn't Mm. know what his prognosis was. So I took care of him for months and it was Mm. just so much drama. I lived in San Diego at the time. It's where I'm from. And we would go down to Tijuana to get his medication and again, taking care of him. And then nine months into that relationship, I took a pregnancy test and found out I was pregnant. Mm. And I also found out that he had been lying the entire time we'd been together and had been um, actually an addict. He was addicted to opioids. So P.S., that's what we were getting down in Mexico. And sometimes I went down there by myself to get his cancer medication from these pharmacists that he had a relationship with. And anyway, I could have gone to jail. Um, And he had lied to cover up his opioid addiction and went away to rehab and met someone in rehab and fell in love with her. Anyway, and I had a baby. <laughs> He's now 15. Wow. But um, all that to say, and and P.S., like I was still drinking at the time, but, mm-hmm. but not a lot mm-hmm. because I was doing these other behaviors mm-hmm. that were kind of filling the void, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. And I really had my kind of like just fetal position on the ground, like, how did I get here? And the, uh, the, to make that very long story short, I decided to change my life. And that's when I found life coaching as many of us do (laughs) have these kind of life explosion Uh moments. I went to go get certified and things were really looking up. And that is right around the time that my drinking picked up speed. Interesting. Because I had stopped with my love addiction. I had stopped with my codependent behaviors and I had really learned to start to set boundaries and speak up for myself Mm -hmm. and like, oh, there's this whole world of personal development. And I just was eating it all up Mm -hmm. and and really, truly not to be completely self-deprecating. Like I was changing my life for the better. Mm -hmm. But again, I was drinking a lot. So it took me from that moment about four years to admit that I had a real problem. Mm -hmm. And I told a friend of mine, I said, I think, and she had at least six or seven years of recovery at that Mm -hmm. point. And um, I said, I think there might be a problem with my relationship with alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I was ashamed about it. And it was really not that big of a deal to her. I thought she was going to gasp, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) she didn't. It wasn't that dramatic. Uh But she was like, okay, what if you just tried to quit for 30 days was kind of an experiment. Mm Mm-hmm. And Angela, I lasted six whole days just white knuckling it and was like, I, I can't, I had two babies, Mm. a brand new business, um, and still a lot of unresolved grief and trauma from my first marriage and this relationship that had exploded. And Mm -hmm. so, um, 
I got sober. And at the time, Alcoholics Anonymous was the recovery method of choice for mm-hmm. me. And it saved my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I that was 11 years ago Then I got sober. And I will say this just to kind of close out my story. Mm-hmm. The thing that I didn't know about getting sober was that sobriety and recovery were two very different things. Mm-hmm. Anyone can get sober. Mm-hmm. And and to be honest with you, in my experience, that was the easy part. The not drinking was the easy part. And that's hard. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but like compared to actual recovery, whoa, like I wasn't expecting the raw feeling and and the feeling like I was totally stripped naked Mm -hmm. of all of my devices Mm -hmm. and numbing mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And I had to actually face my life Mm -hmm. and face my shadow sides and face like all of these parts of myself and stories and experiences and the ways that I had behaved that I was so incredibly ashamed of Mm -hmm. that shook me to my core way more than the, than the stopping drinking. Yeah. Yeah. But don't you think that, it, I mean, obviously you probably do. I mean, I read your book, but that work that you did, the recovery part of it, right? The like getting to the root is what I call of it is like fixing yeah. it so it doesn't come back. Like if you hadn't done that, do you think that you would still, you would be here 11 years later? I mean, I might just out of pure pride, um, mm. <laughs> like to try to save face. Like yeah. there's a saying in Alcoholics Anonymous, like you can't save your ass in your face at the same time. And <laughs> I might one. be one of those people yeah. who just stayed sober but never did the work mm-hmm. because I was too ashamed to relapse. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. And there are a lot of people that do that. And um, in the rooms of recovery, they call that a dry drunk, like mm-hmm. someone who isn't drinking but they're still an asshole. Right. That's the part that, that I think that we really have to work on. And, um, I, I couldn't bear, I, the shame of not doing the work and doing this for a living. Oh, right. Right. (laughs) That's the part that I think I, I, I couldn't like being a hypocrite to me was like enough to, to really get my ass in gear. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, too, a lot of people from the people that I've coached, you know, they they aren't as evolved as you as they come into this work to change their relationship with alcohol. Like you'd done and you were very self-aware, it sounds like to me in your story, uh-huh. about your, your addictions and your, your love addiction and like the all of that, right? Like you knew what you did was not good for you, right? And so you were working yeah. on that. A lot of times my clients can be like, this is their first tip their first step into self-development right their first exploration of like trying to fix things and we we, you know we take a step back from alcohol or we we cut it back quite significantly and then all the stuff comes in right it's like Mm -hmm. the people pleasing the perfectionism the self-sabotage the doubt right like the fucking patriarchy and all the things right and a lot of times they can start going into other addictive things like food oh, totally. and shopping mm-hmm. and overworking. Work. Yeah, all yep. of that, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you think is helpful for people like knowing your history and, you know, after reading this book, like what do you think is the key to not go back into like those other patterns or like how to how to like do the work? and not uh-huh. start using something else or doing something else that would be equally as yeah. damaging. 
That's like a really good question. And I think it depends. It really depends on the person. So let me just kind of think out loud here for mm-hmm. a second. Yeah. I also want to touch back onto something I said that we were just talking about regarding how some people will, you know, maybe they'll continuously relapse or they're just, this is their first step into personal development and Mm -hmm. it's just, it's too much. So they might go back to drinking or Mm -hmm. like try moderating or whatever. I don't think that one person is smarter than the other. Mm -hmm. I don't think that one person is more evolved or wise or better or whatever. I, I really think that we all have our own kind of pain tolerance. It's just like physical pain. Mm -hmm. What hurts way too much for me might not be as much for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's the same with emotional pain. I, since I was a child have been the kid who was so obsessed with telling the truth in terms of um, talking about what was actually going on, even if it was incredibly uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Did I grow up in a family that also believed that? Absolutely not. Like most Gen X children Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and baby boomer. And I think a lot of millennials too, like we grow up thinking that it is normal to not talk about hard things in families, to have family secrets, uh, to to push down our emotions as much as we can. Mm -hmm. And so it was extremely painful for me to not tell the truth. Mm And just emotionally and mentally, it, I couldn't stand it. Mm-hmm. And some people can. And I kind of envy them, like, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish that I could have. <laughs> I mean, I don't, but I kind of do if I'm, you know, speaking of telling yeah. the truth. But I just couldn't stand it. And so um, it's the same thing with, like, clutter. Some people can just, like, they don't even notice it. And some people, it drives them yeah. batty. Yeah. It just is really depends on your personality. And so all that to say... I think to answer your question, the the thing that has helped me the most, and this is typically not a question you can answer very quickly. It's like one of those like life coaching, like pondering journaling mm-hmm. questions. Mm-hmm. And I write about this in the book is, what is the problem that you think you're drinking or you're overeating or your internet, you know, too much internet or too much work is going to solve? Like fill in the blank. Uh, for me, it was, and I think this is for a lot of people, it was it was the tremendous pain and shame and humiliation I felt for my first marriage ending the way that it did. Mm. It was also the pain I felt of feeling like I was abandoned by my dad when I was a teenager. You know, it's like mm. kind of classic daddy issues, if you will. Mm. And I think so many of us have our specific family of origin stuff. Mm-hmm. And if it is unaddressed, it will find a way to come and bite you in the ass somehow, yeah. whether you take it out on your kids, mm-hmm. whether yep. you drink, yep. like it's not going to go away as yep. much as we like to hope that it will. So that was what I filled in the blank with. Mm-hmm. Like I hoped that drinking would solve the pain, would make the pain go away that I felt from my first marriage, as mm-hmm. well as the pain I felt around my relationship with my dad. Mm-hmm. Specifically on that pain, though, it's but did, tell me about your drinking. Was it every day? Was it just when you were feeling those emotions and like going into the past and feeling every it day. every day? Okay. Yeah. So did you it think about that way, did you think about your ex and your past every day? Sometimes it was it was hard not to for me um, because you know Facebook was born and and so I was mutual friends with 
um, I was friends with a lot of, we had a lot of mutual friends. So every mm -hmm. once in a while, he would, a picture of him would like pop up into my newsfeed at like mm -hmm. a family gathering or something. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just, you know, you spend that much time with someone and I do believe that kind of part of them lives inside of you, mm -hmm. if you will, mm -hmm. like you can't just turn it off. Mm -hmm. And um, I had also, because what he had done was so egregious, mm -hmm. people were very quick to be dismissive of the whole event. They're like, what he did was so crappy. Andrea, you're the one, like you're the winner, you know, right. like I'm using quotes over here. Right. Like, yeah, you talked about that in the book. Like you, they didn't yeah. let you have your feelings around it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I felt like kind of a jerk. I'm like, what? so I should just be able to like, because he did something so heinous. You should just be so I black and white. You should just, just be like, able to like fuck off and, yeah, and move screw on. Him. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't deserve me. Yeah. Like, which is all true, but you know, I loved this person, like with all of yeah. my heart, I promised in front of God and everybody to, mm -hmm. <laughs> to, be, mm -hmm. to have this, um, I thought I would be with him forever. As, as much as I knew that that relationship was bad for both mm -hmm. of us, mm -hmm. I was willing to stick mm -hmm. it out. And that's a whole different conversation for another time. But that's, um, you know, was I thinking about it on a daily basis? Like as I was knocking back four glasses of wine mm -hmm. every night? No, but it still was living inside of me. Right. Right. It was the fire I was trying to put out. Yeah. I think that's just that nuance right there is really important to kind of dissect. Right. Because when I'm asking people these same questions, like, what do you think it's doing for you? And they say, I don't know. Or I, I, I'm not sure. Or it's just a habit. Right. There's always something there. Your feelings don't just exit your body and never come back. You always have them. And we they get ignited sometimes or they lay dormant sometimes. But they're always there. Right. And yeah. our history is yeah. always with us. And I think it's so important to know that even though you're not thinking about it every day and you can't directly take, yes, I drank tonight because of this thing that happened in my past. I'm sad about X. Right. Mm -hmm. That makes sense why I'm drinking. But you just know that you drank and that was the underlying kind of ribbon of it. Right. It was like this, exactly. this, this emotional experience that you carried with you that was left unresolved and unconsciously you chose to escape that through the drinking. Would you yeah. agree with that? Totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like the way that you explain it. I, I also think that the way that when people would ask me a question about it, just about drinking, like, mm -hmm. why do you think you drank? And I said, I was trying to run away from my life, mm -hmm. you know, and then sometimes they would ask further, like, what is, what did that mean? And sometimes on the surface, it was just the stress of, being the mother of two toddlers and having a business yes. that I so badly yes. wanted to get off the ground. And yep. it's just, it's a long game and it's just mm -hmm. painful sometimes. Some of it was uh, just stress of making money, just all the regular kind of stresses that we can name like fairly quickly. Mm -hmm. But if, a, if I sat down with a therapist, <laughs> mm -hmm. they're going to quickly pinpoint what is sort of the bigger kind of, you know, if you think about like the target symbol, you know, like yeah. there's like the, the middle layer, which is kind of the, the everyday stressors. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. the, the bigger you go out, then you think about like, well, it, my divorce, that was really mm -hmm. painful. Or, you know, my family of origin mm -hmm. stuff. It's mm -hmm. like, not only is it sort of outside of what you would normally think about mm -hmm. off the top of your head, mm -hmm. but it's bigger. <laughs> it's, it's a bigger, and it just sort of exacerbates the stress that we like the everyday stresses. That's totally. Yeah. It's like, it's like those little everyday stressors can be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Exactly. Right. So like, I remember I talked about this on my podcast with my clients just recently, my child <laughs> had dried mud on their shoes. Yeah. 
And I was art like that morning I had lost all of my passwords to everything that I have online. No, I know. I know. And so that's enough to make me exactly right. Unravel, unravel, unravel. Mm. So I was in that place, like trying to figure that out and just like keeping it in together and just like, okay, I can figure this out. This, you know, like managing myself. And then the mud situation, literally there was dust in every corner of my home, like up the stairs, all over the, uh, every room. I don't know why they decided to walk through every single room that morning with their fucking shoes. Andrea, bang, take them off and bang. I lost it. I broke like that broke. I I felt like I shattered. Like I was going to be turned to dust. Like literally I thought I was just going to shrivel away and turn to dust. (laughs) And so it's not that right. But a lot of times people think it's that, but it's this other thing. Me, me, it was totally be about losing control. The passwords, the dirt. I mean, I have like, I need to know what's happening and I need to have access to information when I need it like and I lost control and so me experiencing that goes way back to my childhood obviously and like how I was raised yeah. you know it's not about this in the moment kind of stuff and I think through exactly. therapy I you know I've been seeing a therapist now for 18 months I didn't have therapy before I changed my relationship with alcohol I only had this it's kind of like opposite of a lot of people it's like the life coaching helped me like kind of uh-huh. get away from it and understand myself. But the therapy has been the deeper, more understanding yeah. myself more. And I'm able to handle that shit now because I don't drink. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so I think that just was a point I wanted to make. It's not so much the everyday stuff. It's the deeper stuff that can turn us around or bring us down. I guess especially as women. Mm-hmm. And especially mothers, that adds a whole nother layer. But there's probably people listening who aren't mothers, and I don't want to be dismissive to that at all. Because as women, we are expected to handle everything with a sense of grace and, you know, and productivity and efficiency. Mm-hmm. And that I think, it, and 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 it's not that men are are not expect they have different cultural expectations, but we're expected to carry this load that is so incredibly heavy mm-hmm. and it, we have our limits. And I'll tell you what I've had just, what was that last week? I, I, you know, there's the whole topic of gentle parenting is big mm-hmm. on social media. I don't know if you've, if you've seen it, it's kind mm-hmm. of a buzzword and it's, and it's basically how I have mostly parented, just treating my children as humans instead of like small children or, or, and just having conversations with them Mm -hmm. about how they're feeling or like Mm -hmm. what's going on rather than telling them what they should think or feel. And what irritates me about, about these gentle parenting experts. And it's like, can someone just tell the truth and like say that once in a while you lose your shit because I (laughs) don't believe you. If you say that you do that 100% of the time, right? I do it probably 90% of the time, 85%, 90% of the time. I went off on my son the other day mm-hmm. about his Invisalign. <laughs> <laughs> Not my proudest moment. Mm. Did I have to go back and apologize? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But <laughs> in the old days, I would have drank to cover up the shame of how I erupted on yes. him rather than just like go and have a conversation with him. Yes. That's so good. I mean, the whole kid, what you said about the parenting and like, it shows us our shit, you know, totally. 
It's every humbling. day, every day, every day. I mean, it's just right there looking at you, right? Waiting for it to be addressed. Literally. Yeah. I don't know if your kids are like this, but, and I can probably count on one hand, maybe two hands, the amount of times I have really just snapped. And, mm-hmm. and I, and their expression immediately tells me that I have stepped over a line mm-hmm. with them, mm-hmm. that I have broken this commitment and this trust that we have with each other, mm-hmm. where we treat each other as humans and with respect, mm-hmm. their face. <laughs> And I'm already like so far in, you know, like when you're, have you ever been in an argument with someone and you realize like halfway in that you're wrong and you're like, do I keep going? Yes. Yes. (laughs) I stop and say, actually I'm wrong. (laughs) But that moment of like seeing my son's face, just the shock of, and like his, I'm surprised his hair didn't blow back, like the amount of yelling I was doing. <laughs> but it tells me immediately that I am not my best self right. in this moment. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. all about apologizing. Yeah. It's, I mean, we have to show them that it's okay to make mistakes and that we're not perfect. Right. Yeah. And I think if we can model that and have empathy and understanding and come and admit our own imperfections, that's going to help them. You know, be. Yeah. I did not receive that as a child. I don't know about you. I didn't even care. <laughs> no. Most people don't get that, right? And so it's like in those moments, even when I lose it or do something I'm not super proud of, I'm like, ooh, I get to, I get to be different. Even though the mm-hmm. first part of it was not that much different maybe than what I experienced, but the second part is in like apologizing and talking through it and yeah. feelings and all the things, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's really great. And this doesn't happen. I would say maybe this happens half the time, probably less than that. But when I am apologizing mm-hmm. and they say this has happened more often as they've gotten a little bit older and they say, you know, thank you for apologizing. Mm-hmm. And you actually were right. You know, like I am being a jerk about my Invisalign. I've mm-hmm. been irresponsible about my mm-hmm. Invisalign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, OK, thank you. My delivery was shit. But what I was delivering was actually I stand behind. Yeah. Where are your damn Invisalign? <laughs> <laughs> How much are we paying for this? Is this your one set of teeth? I, I mean, anyone out there who isn't there yet, just do the metal braces. Just do the metal braces. <laughs> it's just going to be another task for the parent to, to have to handle that Invisalign. Anyway. Yes. Just wire them up and then take them in and have it tightened so they can't lose right. the shit, right? Can't take it out. <laughs> well, they just don't wear it. And then they lose it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then they don't have the right one from last week. And yes. Yeah, it's just a mess. Cool. Well, Andrea, what do you think is like the key to your long-term sobriety? Like, what do you think got you here? Obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know what you think about this. It sounds like you were getting going with your career and like you're already successful and like doing some things as a coach and stuff. But do you think that you would be here right now if you hadn't stopped drinking? If I kept drinking? Yeah. You know, I sometimes ask myself that. Um... I don't know. I highly doubt it Mm -hmm. because the progression, you know, I identify as an alcoholic. I identify as an addict. I just Mm -hmm. never dove too far into drugs. Mm -hmm. I guess I got lucky in that Mm -hmm. regard, but I was progressing so fast. You know, I was, I was drinking about a bottle of wine, at least a bottle, an entire bottle of wine every night. And Mm -hmm. I hesitate to say that because some people, 
who drink a lot less than that, but still have a problem with their relationship with mm-hmm. alcohol will be like, oh, well, that's not me. So I'm not that bad. So oh, yeah. I'm fine. Or people who drink a lot more than that mm-hmm. um, can be dismissive, but the quantity doesn't matter. It doesn't. It's, it doesn't matter because right. everyone's tolerance is different, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, and that was 11 years ago. Like, what would I be up to at this point? I have no idea how that would impact my physical health. I just was mm-hmm. diagnosed with an autoimmune disease mm-hmm. um, earlier this year. And I cannot imagine that I could have kept my life together drinking that much mm-hmm. and that often, mm-hmm. you know, especially I think about like going to conferences and like, mm-hmm. you know, mastermind weeks and mm-hmm. things like that. Like those were, I drank even more because mm-hmm. I was away from my family. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it was, you know, like a bar with like fancy drinks. And yeah. I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to have like one of everything. And mm-hmm. I, I am a Tasmanian devil, even when I'm sober, like when I would drink, oh my God, I, I was showing people my boobs. Like it just, it was like, I was a party girl. Mm-hmm. I was a quintessential mm-hmm. party girl. And I just can't imagine how I would have humiliated myself at conferences and things like that. So um, I guess my answer is no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I would be here. <laughs> um, or I think something big would have had to happen, something really embarrassing in order for me to get sober. And mm-hmm. I did not want that to happen. I thought about that mm-hmm. when I was thinking about getting sober. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, God, I don't, I don't want to get a DUI. I don't mm-hmm. want to wake up in my thong on my front lawn. Right. You know, um, I don't want to wake up in somebody else's bed. Like that was something I had to think about too. Like with my history of just the way I was with mm-hmm. men, like mm-hmm. I, I want to be in a monogamous marriage. Mm-hmm. Like I just, the risk was too high. I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Thank you for letting me like say all that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, to me, it sounds like you thought through it. Right. And made a conscious decision. There was it doesn't sound like there was some dramatic event that happened. Like there was would mm-hmm. you agree? Like there was no rock bottom car crash type nope. situation. No. Nope. My but rock you, bottom was earlier yeah. with like my marriage and everything. Yeah. That was my rock bottom. Yeah. But you thought through your future at keeping up mm-hmm. the rate in which you were drinking and you didn't like that picture. Right. I've done that a few times in my life where I've made like a sharp left turn. Mm -hmm. I did it in my career when I was only 22. Mm -hmm. I was in like a job that so many girls at that time would have killed for. Mm -hmm. Um, And I hated it. And I I, I did not love the people. If I was going to get promoted, like I saw the people in that position and I didn't, I didn't admire them. I didn't like their lives. I didn't like how they treated the other people. I, I was like, I saw my future and I didn't love it. Mm. And I, I, I wish that I would have been better about that with my first marriage. Cause I saw my future and I didn't love it, but I stayed, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I did that with drinking too. There's a saying for that at AA, they say like, they call it think through the drink. And it's when you are thinking about drinking mm-hmm. and you know, you probably shouldn't. If mm-hmm. you think about where this will likely lead you, mm-hmm. even if it's just, okay, well, I say I'm going to only have one. Mm-hmm. How's my track record of that? Like, mm-hmm. how's my history of that? Mm-hmm. Not great. So I'm mm-hmm. probably going to end up drinking three or four. Mm-hmm. And then how am I going to feel when I wake up in the morning mm-hmm. or three o'clock in the morning in a, mm-hmm. in a cold sweat? So just sometimes doing that can help you either just not drink for that night or quit long term. That's that's pretty much the strategy that I didn't know that it was mm-hmm. a thing in AA. 
But like, so mm. I don't say I'll never drink again. I don't put that kind of pressure on myself. I just like not really attaching myself to that. And so I will often consider it or it might pop mm-hmm. in as an idea in my mind to have a drink. It ha- just happened to me. I was flying to Italy like two months ago and I was sitting in Delta Comfort Plus and they were, you know, pouring mm-hmm. the champagne and I was like, it was a night drink. flight yeah. and I was like, and, I, and I've shared this with people. I was like, I actually, I, it, it was like a tunnel vision experience is how I can, I actually considered having a drink. And it wasn't like I was observing myself thinking about it. It was like, oh, I could have that. That'll help me sleep. Just one glass. Nobody will know. Like, I actually, like, was considering it. And then mm-hmm. I, I, it was like almost like I just, whoop, I, like, I pulled myself out of the vortex of it. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, that was yeah. interesting. But I, what helped me was I thought through it. I'm like, no, because then I, I'm tired. So that's not going to help me get actually good sleep. And I don't want to wake up like feeling like that and disappointed myself for a glass of champagne on an right. airplane. So like I let myself, I call it playing it through. Just play uh-huh. it out, play it through. What, what does it feel like for you? What do you think you'll get from it? And what do you think will happen the next day? And literally yeah. I let myself make those decisions whenever it, the idea comes in. And it's always just no, cause I play it through. That's such a better, um, I, I think that's such a better strategy rather than telling yourself you can never drink again, because I think a lot of us are just rebellious yeah. spirits Yeah, and nobody likes to be told, especially if you're an entrepreneur, like right. we became entrepreneurs because we don't like listening to rules. Yeah. We don't particularly <laughs> like authority. Like I got written up for insubordination when I was probably 19 at a job. Um, we don't like being told yeah. you can never drink again. Right. Yeah. But so anyway, thank you for sharing that. That's super helpful. Yeah. Um, so what do you think has been the thing that has kept you sober for 11 years? Like what do you do on a regular basis that helps you maintain that? Honestly, I cannot emphasize enough how important my female friendships have been. Mm. I did not know how to be a good friend in my Mm. 20s. I thought because I was fun and spontaneous, like, you always were going to have a good time if I was with you. Mm -hmm. Like, if if we're going out, we're going big, and we're going to have a really great time, and my friends could always count on me for that. And there came a time where that just wasn't enough anymore. Mm. You know, like, you kind of outgrow that. And and, um, I, I didn't know that it was bad communication to just like hold everything in and then wait until <laughs> let me tell you all the reasons I'm mad at you, Angela. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, no, that's not. <laughs> and this isn't to put all the blame on myself. You know, my friends weren't exactly excellent communicators um, who really is when you're young, unless you've mm-hmm. been taught that or raised by therapists, but getting into this work. And I don't mean as a profession, I mean like as a student mm-hmm. and like learning about, how to communicate with clarity and kindness and love and compassion. And I think it's Stephen Covey who, you know, talks about seeking to understand before being understood, mm. um, which I, I, I can't take that with a grain of salt because women mm-hmm. <laughs> and patriarchy, mm-hmm. but just really learning how to listen to people and taking into consideration their feelings. Like I was so selfish. I was so selfish and entitled when I was younger and before I did this work and, and the friend, the friends that have showed up for me when I am at my rock bottom, like when I am 
feeling like an ugly human. Mm. That was so scary for me, like to actually have friends that I can trust and that I have like these intimate connections with. Mm -hmm. I always say trust, intimacy, and love were the things that I wanted the most, but they were simultaneously the things that I was terrified of, Mm. terrified. Because if I give that to you, you are going to see me at my worst. And mm-hmm. I don't like that part of me. Mm-hmm. So how how do I expect you to love that part of me mm-hmm. when I think it's disgusting? Mm-hmm. So I had to learn to like let people see me and then also love that part of me and have compassion for the girl I once was and and love and compassion and forgiveness for the choices that I made, the terrible choices that I made that hurt other people, mm-hmm. that hurt me, that hurt people that I cared about. Like, that work was grueling and the people, the women that have stayed with me and some of the friendships kind of like come apart and then they come back together. Mm-hmm. And I think we all have those friends, but there's been a couple of them who have really stuck by me and also mm-hmm. done the work as well. Mm-hmm. Those women, I would take a bullet for yeah. and they know it and they would do the same for me. And my my wish for all women is that you have at least one of those people because at the end of my life, like that's really what's going to matter the most. It's not going to matter how many stages I spoke on Mm -hmm. or um, certainly not going to matter what size jeans I wore. Mm -hmm. What's going to matter is the relationships that I had and when I showed up for people. And Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's what it is really. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, because I think a lot of times it's, you know, when you're when you're working through whatever it is, whether it's alcohol or some other issue that you're dealing with, the more you can share with your people, the better off you are, right? Like the more you can be honest, right? Like like tell yourself the truth first. <laughs> you know, be honest with yourself. I think mm-hmm. that's the most important. Develop that relationship. Yeah. And then communicate that to a few people that you do trust, right? And if you don't have those people in your life right now, like you know, joining a coaching program where everyone's working on the same thing together in a trusting environment is also a good idea or a support group or something where you can do that safely. Um, yeah. It's, you know, putting it out in the universe. It's it's sharing your vulnerable moments, who you really are, letting yourself be seen at that place. It's beautiful. And I would agree with you. Like my friendships, I have so many amazing friends. My parents are like, you're lucky if you have one or two friends for your whole life. I'm like, I am really fucking rich then because I am fortunate to have many beautiful relationships, but it's because I know how to show up. I know how to honor myself, be real with myself and have boundaries and what I tolerate, what I accept in my life and all that. And it just, it does attract, you know, Mm like-minded people in that way, but it is so important to have a person to call and talk to. Yeah. And I I think too, like, you know, we end up having friends for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like I have one of my best friends will always point out where I need to work on something. Like if I'm telling her something about like me and my husband, Mm -hmm. she'll be like, well, I have some thoughts. Every time she says, I have some thoughts, that's code for Andrea, you're in the wrong here too. Um, But I have another friend where if I don't want to, if I just want them to grab their fiery torch with me Mm -hmm. and go on a crusade, Mm -hmm. then I call Kate, you know, like (laughs) we have different friends for different reasons. And, um, but there's only really a couple of them where I trust them to go down in the trenches with me. Mm -hmm. That 
I don't have very many. Mm-hmm. And I and I don't think that many of us do have like those kinds of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very special and they're very yeah. specific. So. Yes, yes. And I always like with my friends too, I'm like, okay, because I have a lot of life coach friends. So everyone wants to help, yeah. right? And so it's like, okay, no, I just need this from you in this moment. <laughs> I do not want mm-hmm. to be given any advice. I just actually need you to listen. And so I, I yeah. try to preference what preference. I need. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, sometimes yeah. you just need to be heard, right? And, like, you don't need to be adjusting oh, your right. mind or your feelings on anything. Yeah, it's like I just – I plan on taking zero action on this. I just need to complain. <laughs> My friend and I, we do this thing where we call, we call each other and we're like, I need to tell you all the things I'm mad at. And so it might be like – some customer service thing that made you mad or the kids in Invisalign or whatever it is. And we just move on from yeah, there. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Well, what else do people need to know about you or this work or yourself or what kind of words of motivation or inspiration would you like my listeners to know? Yeah, I think um, just circling back to what I had mentioned about doing the work in terms of forgiving mm-hmm. your past self. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we all have things that we're not proud of and yep. decisions that we've made and um, relationships that we stayed in or um, just bad choices. Mm-hmm. And I always say like, you know, bad choices do make good stories sometimes, but I had to, like a lot of the work I had to do was forgiving the woman that I was at the time because mm-hmm. I had some shame around it, mm-hmm. <laughs> some shame. I had a lot of shame around mm-hmm. it. Um, and just so much self-judgment. And I think, I think if anybody's kind of like thinking like, what should I work on next? Like Mm -hmm. that might be something to touch on. Yes. Because that judgment doesn't help you at all. Right. Like how does it serve anybody? If we want to talk about it for a minute, like judging yourself and being mad at yourself for things that you've done in the past, we think, I think part of this, and maybe this is another sort of recovery thing. It's like, I don't know what is helpful, and I'm just kind of like organizing my thoughts about it. You tell me if I'm wrong. Like in recovery circles, is it like you have to remember the the bad things and like make amends and like sometimes that can be hard, right? Because you have to like go back and revisit that stuff. Yeah. But like what you're saying and what I'm saying is like we can forgive ourselves for that eventually. We don't need to carry that shame and that regret, yeah. right? But it's worth, it's work worth doing because when you carry that shit with you, it affects how you show up today, right? And it affects how you judge other people too. Like it's really hard to have compassion for other, Mm -hmm. other people, especially when they're making the same mistakes that that you have made in the past, Mm -hmm. you're still judging yourself. And I, I really feel like the jury is still out in our circles Mm -hmm. around, is it truly necessary to forgive other people in order to heal and move on? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I used to think that like, yeah, you did have to have to forgive people. Um, but I think it's such a personal preference. Mm-hmm. And also one that is hard to make tangible. Like there are some like markers and things like that. But I encourage people to focus on forgiving themselves. Yes. Like they're forgiving yourself for trusting that person for so long when yeah. they hurt you multiple times. Yes. Forgiving yourself for, um, you know, maybe kind of being Pollyanna-ish and thinking like this time it's going to work out or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is that you need to do. It's like, I, I take a lot away from the work of Dr. Gabor Mate, And he talks about like, if you were able to make different decisions at the time, you would have. Mm. And, and a lot of people will argue back and say like, well, no, like I knew that I 
should have made a different decision. And I made the decision to drink on the plane mm-hmm. anyway, or whatever it was. And it's like, I would push back on that. It's like, well, really? Like maybe at that time, I don't know. It's just, it's perspective work mm-hmm. too. Like, mm-hmm. what if it was this? And mm-hmm. Like, what if I just think self-forgiveness is one of the hardest things, but most important work that we'll ever do. Yeah. And don't you think that self-forgiveness kind of ekes out of you? Like once you get to that place of like, I'm, I'm forgiving myself from this, doesn't that energy kind of go outward, right? And like helps other yeah. people have permission to forgive you as well? I think so. I think energetically, mm-hmm. I had never really thought about that, but I, I love that. I absolutely love that. But, and I, someone might be thinking who's listening to this, like, well, does that kind of give you a free pass to act like a jerk mm-hmm. um, in the future, in the near future, even it's like, well, no, I, I have really worked on self-forgiveness and it, it doesn't for me. Like, I don't make plans to be a jerk thinking mm-hmm. like, I don't think oh, most okay, well, I'm just going to forgive myself right? later. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I want I like specifically let's talk about the mother who has overdrank for years. Okay, she's mm-hmm. got adult children now who are vocal about their drinking. I have many of my clients fit this bill, okay. Okay? and I probably would have too had I not stopped when my my kids were very young when I stopped. So they don't remember me doing this. But yeah. if I would waited ten years, they would. You know, I would be here. So the adult children who are saying, mom, you got to get your shit together. Like, I can't be around you when you're drinking. And maybe there's been some incidences in the past. The shame and the guilt that they hold on to is so devastating, right? And it's almost like we show up that way or they show up that way. And it's like they have to prove that they feel terrible about it over and over again. You're following me? So that they know that they feel bad about it. You mean the mother? Yeah. So like the mom, the mom Mm -hmm. needs to express how bad they feel about what they did to their kids so that the kids know, like this is in the mom's Mm -hmm. mind, right? The kids know how remorseful they feel all the time about it. Yeah. Well, I think I wouldn't, I wouldn't prescribe someone to work on, I'm glad you made this distinction. I wouldn't, I wouldn't prescribe someone to work on self-forgiveness from the get-go. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that's the, your first step. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that your first step is to work on the sobriety piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just, <clears throat> let's just try to stay, say, stay sober today and maybe do some other kind of work. Like, look like you we were just talking about, like looking ahead. Like, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you think is going to, what do you think that your 2023 is going to look like? What mm-hmm. do you think Christmas is going to look like mm-hmm. if you continue to drink? And then I, I just think that there's so many other steps that can happen. It's like, once you get some um, clarity under your belt, like, and it may not even look like total sobriety. Mm-hmm. It may look like you just cut way back, mm-hmm. but you've gained some clarity about why you're drinking, mm-hmm. like what problem you think that you're drinking is going to solve. Mm-hmm. And also like, I think if a mom has adult children and she's drank for an, a number of years, I'm pretty sure there's going to be specific instances that have damaged the relationship she has with her adult children Mm -hmm. that she needs to address. Mm -hmm. This is where I think amends can come Mm -hmm. in handy and like Mm -hmm. allowing her children the space to express how much they've Mm -hmm. been hurt by her. And I think that guilt, guilt can be a good thing in some instances. Mm -hmm. Like we didn't even get into the conversation around shame and guilt, but 
guilt can make us change our behavior. Mm-hmm. Like I felt guilty that I yelled at my son last week. Mm-hmm. So that I'm going to think about that the next time, you know, it'll probably help me in the future to not do mm-hmm. it again or to, to take one deep breath before I decide mm-hmm. to go off the handle. Mm-hmm. Guilt can be helpful in changing our behavior. Um, so I don't, you know, I think sometimes it's necessary to, to be able to give someone the opportunity. Um, it's like, okay, you have the floor. Like, I love that. I mean, I really, really love that. It's like sometimes they get um, angry or upset and mad that they're still hanging on to things, you know, but to understand that they're humans and they're having emotions and their emotions are totally okay, just like our emotions are totally okay. And like how awesome it is for you to see that and like let them have that space to express that self safely and like that they are communicating with you is a huge like yeah. it's a thing to be thankful for anyway. A lot of people get cut off, you know? <laughs> totally. Yeah. You don't want that. You don't yeah. want to get to that place where your where your adult children go no contact. Mm-hmm. But I think that um like at the end of the day, like our kids don't owe us jack shit. Mm. They really don't. And I think that that was one of the things that I have grabbed from therapy that I've held on to because I think so many of us grow up and these expectations that our parents put on us, Mm -hmm. that leads to so much resentment. And at the end of the day, like as much as I want them to be like these amazing teenagers and like uh, to have this amazing relationship as they become adults, Mm -hmm. they don't owe me anything. Mm -hmm. They don't. And like, I can't even tell you how hard it was for me to accept that, Angela. Oh, I, yeah. And I don't, I, I don't no, I know. To think like it was no, I know. Like, that's, that. that's my biggest fear is like my kids won't have a relationship with me as an adult. Totally. Like, that's my biggest fear. And I have to just be okay with that fear. Like, that could Ugh. happen. I literally, I'm it like, could. that could happen and I'll be okay. And so will they. Like, I tell myself yeah. that. It's, it's so it's so a hard. real fear and, it really is but I think that the reason I bring it up is because like what you were saying it's like we have to oh I have I have to go yeah. I didn't realize we had been talking for so long that's okay <laughs> I have another call we can wrap can anyway wrap. I just want to say that it's um it's important for us to be having these open and transparent conversations with our adult children like yes. that's really what I want to say to wrap up that, that thank you Andrea we, we will wrap this up thank real quick so and tight much. we'll link everything up it was so lovely to see you and thank you so much for Same. coming on the podcast thank you All right, bye we'll everybody bye